Welcome to the third episode of It's On You. Yeah, man, life can be tough and rough like an Afro puff, but it's on you. Welcome, everybody, to the third episode of It's On You, and I'm your host, Ramon Mochi Flores, here with my co-host, CEO, and founder of It's On You, Alex Miramontes. Alex, welcome back. Hey, Monchis, what's up? I'm glad to be back. I'm fired up. I'm excited. Let's go. Beautiful. Hey, Alex, we've been getting a lot of buzz going on over the last two episodes. A lot of people have chimed in and continue to give positive feedback, opinions, observations, and have interesting questions and suggestions. Oh, wow, man. I'm excited. Really? Let me, let's see. Let's see. Where do we want to go with this? All right. All right. One of the suggestions, actually more of a request, is that we tell our own personal experiences, or better yet, at what point in our lives did we realize that it was on us to make a change for the better. Wow, that is interesting, man. It's going to be a rough one, man. We're going to have to dig deep and come up with some good stuff, Monchi. Oh, yeah, man. At this point, it looks like most of our listeners are clear about what It's On You is. Okay. And now they're asking for examples of our own lives using practical steps, common sense. What do you think, Alex? Wow, that's pretty deep. But I tell you what, Monchi, if you tell, I tell. Ha See, see, see. I'm in, baby. So we're ready, you know, and uh, Alex, that as a young man, you were pretty involved in the gangs, right? Uh, yeah, man, sadly. Yeah, man, you know, and uh, you told in the first episode that you were shot. Uh, where were you shot and uh, what happened? Break it down, Alex. Oh, wow, man, that's, whoo, man, that's pretty heavy. But I get the audience. I know they want to know how we realized that it was on us, uh, to make a change for the better so so let's get going man look uh yeah this was i believe in 1991 or 92 uh when i was shot mm. uh, i was shot on the face by a rival gang uh during a, a shootout sadly you know i i want to say i was about anywhere from 18 to 19 years old and uh those were the times, man. It was during the 10-year street war, you know, uh, during the height of the crack epidemic. Uh, there was drugs all over the streets, man, and people were trying to get a piece of their American dream, if you catch my drift. So, you know, uh, there was like a baby boomer during that time in the 80s. And uh, so we needed something to do. And as you know, in the margins of society, in the hoods, in the barrios, there's not a lot, a lot to do, man, but, you know, have sex and fuck around and get crazy, you know? So, well, so what was attractive was gangs, you know? So yeah, uh, it was, a, it was just a, a matter of, of me making the wrong decisions at that point in time. And, uh, I got trapped in crossfire and, you know, I was shot on the face. I could have lost my life. Wow. My molars were broken. Uh, I had wires in my mouth for, for a month. So, you know, it's nothing to brag about for sure. But yeah. I think, you know, it, it woke me up a bit. And, uh, for sure. you know, uh, a lot of kids during that time got shot too. So, man, it was powerful stuff, Bunchy. Yeah, man. You know, that's fascinating, Alex. Man, getting shot is no joke, brother. You know, I've been shot at. I haven't been shot, you know. Uh, you could have lost your life, brother. You know, now... Uh, this was the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Uh, yeah, man. You know, uh, I think so. I think this is when I realized that that it was on me uh, to change my life. 
you know mm. uh I had, I had already two two young children two kids man uh two and one and uh i didn't want to die man you know what i mean I, I i had to make a decision i was already processing making these decisions but i think i can only say that at that point i kind of hit rock bottom um you know it uh, i thought i was gonna die quite frankly you know mm. sometimes they say you uh, your life flashes before you when you're close to death. And and I remember at that time that that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, uh, I was shot in the face. I said that I was bleeding profusely, couldn't breathe. I was swallowing a lot of blood. And, uh, you know, I prayed, man. I, 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 was, I, I was talking to God, right? And I was like, give me one more chance. You know, we do that. We're in trouble. So I said, I got to change, man. It's on me. You know, I, I got to figure this thing out. And thankfully... I came out alive with that incident and uh you know here i am to tell much wow man that's incredible alex how old were you at the time 18 i believe wow 18 yeah. huh yeah uh really life affirming i mean who gets into a gang and gets out alive it's not probable but it's possible and it looks like in your case you were able to assess your life and take personal inventory what was working or was not working in your life and at that point in time right is that what happened kind of you know took that time to reassess everything and just kind of do inventory and you know make sure that everything was uh time to make a change yeah man i mean look uh as you know you grew up in the neighborhood too uh you know kids start joining gangs at fucking 10 years old you know and the recruit yeah. the recruiters are out there so uh and to be honest with you, man, uh, it's not like I wanted to join a gang. You know, uh, a lot of people talk about white people and you join gangs. And I think the general consensus is that people are looking for a substitute family. Right. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that much. You know, I think that we were teenagers uh, looking for a fucking high man on adrenaline. And, and I tell you why I say that, because let's just say, for example, Monch, that there's a bunch of youth out in you know, I don't know, Thousand Oaks or somewhere, in, you know, in Westwood or what have you, where there's more affluence. Kids do crazy shit all the time in groups, man. You know, they yeah. break shit. They they get high. They do crazy. But in, in instances like that, they call them just they just call them being teenagers. Yeah. But why is it that in black neighborhoods and brown neighborhoods, they don't say that they're like they're gang members. Yeah. And then when you make that claim, like, no, man, I, I wasn't. I was just being a teenager. I was just getting high. No, you were. No, you weren't. You're brown, man. You're black. So you're just trying to be a gang member. You know what I'm saying? They put the card on you already. They put the card on you already. So, so you know, it wasn't cool. So I had to fight with all this conflict inside. But I definitely knew this, Monchi, that it was on me to make the change and to prove myself to myself first. And secondly, to let other people know that I can do the, determine the path I want to walk you understand wow. i could determine the choices i make i could determine where i'm going and be an individual and and claim my autonomy you know independent of what anybody else is saying or any labels that are being slapped on us so so yeah man that, that that's why i decided that i just needed to make a change yeah that's definitely an it's on you moment of realization you're able to make a clear decision and you chose wisely ultimately even saving your life maybe the life of others and impacting your family's life no doubt, Monchi, indeed, man. You know, it's not easy. We we go through life as 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 the cut you played in the intro, man. Los Caminos de la Vida, man. Oh, the I walks of song. life. Oh, yeah. That shit's fucking bomb. We need some tequila right about now, brother. But, you know, 
We're going to take it easy. So, That's right. uh, you know, people go through shit, you know, uh, people go through stuff and, and we suffer. But when we think correctly, when we clear the cobwebs, we can make clear decisions and use discernment and understand that it's on us to, to do the right thing and make the right decision. But, but anyways, check this out, Monchi. Enough of me, man. I'm tired of me, Monchi. I don't know if you're tired of me, but I am. <laughs> no, man, no, your stories are interesting, but your stories are always interesting. Man, so what I want to know, Monchi's, is more. What about Monchi, man? Tell me and tell us and the listeners some examples of your own life, Monchi, that you applied the It's On You principle. I'm sure you had a lot of moments that you're not proud of or, or painful moments, you know, and you probably got into trouble as the rest of us in the neighborhood. Uh, but I'm sure you had lucid moments and times where you were like, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. I, I got to make a change. I got to go after what I'm looking for and affect my surroundings, my family, my community in a positive way. When was that, Munch? Well, man, that's heavy, brother. It's a it's a long journey, you know, but growing up in the neighborhood, you know, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in a complete functional dysfunctional family so i have mom and dad brothers and sisters we had a complete home so I, I wasn't the typical person to kind of get involved with gangs and drugs and stuff like that and, okay um but i did hang out with a lot of gang members right. I, I did have my my long duration of experimenting with different things you know okay in boyle um, heights by the way uh Boyle heights uh, okay boyle cool heights, so you yeah. were the right almost in the time that that i was fucking around yeah, so, yeah. all right yeah, i mean well, well growing up right here in this neighborhood uh in front of garcia park uh, you know, Boyle Heights was one of the worst pockets of of gang banging in the housing where the houses are at, not housing, the houses are at. Right. So, Damn. like, you know, that my friends grew up in the projects, I grew up in the houses. Okay. Right. You know, and so I not in the housing projects, no, in the real houses. In the in the houses, right? Okay. Where, 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 where parents owned their paying payments to the house to own it. Okay. And um, but uh, within front of the park, where there was a uh, three three entrances and a uh, minimum of three to five gangs would come here all the time: wife and stoners, VNE. You know, um, and they'd always have rumbles here at the park. Damn. You know, and growing up, I always saw the boogeyman and the nasty man, you know. And, uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, Double so, whammy, dog. Yeah, man. No, it was crazy. It was crazy growing <laughs> up right here. You know, um, but yeah, as I grew up, you know, um, I'll tell you this. The way it kind of started for me, I think in junior high, um, I used to go to Stevenson Junior High. And I, I can't remember clearly, but let's assume that I used to go to school late. Since I go to school, they put me in detention. And I stay there for the first half of the day. And right before lunch, they let me out to run the streets. With the rest of the guys that were uh, messing up, okay, you know? yeah. uh, and so we're misfits. All, we, all you know, all we could do is run the alleys, tag up walls, or you know, like fake gangbang at the time. You know what I mean, because yeah. you know, everybody, everybody's brothers or friends or right. everybody we knew were like you know the main guys yeah. from gangs, and we were just like the mocos. Right. So you would. So Monchi. So what you're saying is that there's there's a lack of resources, then, right? Because oh. if that's all that's available when you're coming out after detention, not like a boys club or you know somewhere you know, where you can go to engage in positive activities. I mean, if it, what's out there, you, it must mean that there's not, there's not a lot of resources, man. There, well, for if you don't know the resources, yeah, there is none for you. I'm sure there was. Yeah. But we weren't aware of it at the time, okay. you know. And also, too, like, when I told the story to my brothers and sisters later on, they're like, what? They let you out, at, you know, before lunch? What do you mean? Like, they didn't call my parents. They didn't let nobody know. They yeah. just let us out. Okay. You know? And then so eventually I come home, whatever, you know, and yeah. I was getting D's and F's in class. And I wonder why, because I never went to class. Damn. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, talking later on, I think uh, 
you know, I used to hang out with different with different people, you know, and uh, we get involved with, you know, with getting high and and then like you know when friends would get into fights, I back them up because they're my friends, you yeah. know. And then my friends join gangs, and right. I back them up when I was hanging out with them. I'm not gonna run the opposite way, right? You know. Uh, so I got in different situations where you know. Uh, yeah. Basically, where, you were down for your shit during that time. You were like, "Fuck it, I gotta. It's in. It's here. Let's go. Let's, let's go. Yeah. This is where you're at. You gotta right. do what you gotta do. Right. You know. And so, uh, you know, and another episode we're gonna get deep into it, but I do want to say like you know I. I you know, one of the main impacts of my life was when my little brother got killed. Oh man! You know, yeah. um, and uh, I was coming back from the Bay Area. Yeah. And I was gonna, um, I was in, I was in high school, like eleventh grade or something. I don't remember. I'm not good with dates and times, but it was, yeah. it was uh, the Saturday before Easter Sunday. Oh man! Uh, and uh, it was on my way back from the Bay Area, and my whole thing on the way back, I was gonna go and uh, knock on some guy's door to get my brother's jacket back, right? And yeah. he didn't give it back, and I was gonna fuck them up i guess yeah. in my mind right right i don't know if i could or not that was my right. plan yeah long show when i came back the, the 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 plan changed nobody was home i had to, I had to come from the from the greyhound home my neighbors uh picked me up hey come on let's go i was like where we're we going like we're going to the hospital I'm like for what they said your brother's in the hospital we don't know if he got uh we heard he got shot we don't know if he's dead or alive right and i remember just feeling like a, like a breeze of air going through me oh wow just, bro wow you know yeah. and uh yeah and so I went there. I saw everybody outside, and in the, in the ER, and they're like, "Don't go in. It's too late." And I go inside, and I see my parents there crying. You know, I'm praying over my brother, and right. then I, I start looking at them. I see all these tubes on them and stuff like that, whatever. And it, I didn't feel nothing. I was just kind of like numb to the situation until right. I saw like a little scratch on his face. Right. And I was like, "Oh shit! It's not that he's dead, but they made him suffer before he died." Oh, right. Bro, that was bro. that was yeah. my thought, Man. and that's what made me go a little bit berserk. Right, and so uh, I I uh, I decided to go out and try to find some revenge right. for the situation, you know. And at the exact same time, my brother and FN members and community members got together and were uh, trying to bring the youth together to uh, create peace in the community, right? And start up a nonprofit called the Rogelio Flores Foundation. Okay. Um, and so within that process of doing this foundation which I was involved with and doing presentations. And by the way, in the name of your, of your brother, oh, little brother, Flores, yeah, he, passed. yeah. Okay. He, he got killed in a, in a drive-by shooting. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, long story short is that, uh, thanks to the Rogelio Flores foundation, that process of trying to do youth advocacy and community was a healing process. Allowed me to eventually, uh, uh, separate my hate, you know, and, and try to find some understanding and compassion for youth and try to stop youth on youth violence in our community. Wow. So that was, yeah. that was where, uh, when it was on me to make that change. Oh, wow. Monchi, that's really, really, uh, deep. Yeah. And, and it's also, uh, uh, moments of, of deep pain, bro, you know, but, but you came through it and, uh, thank you for sharing that brothers. It's not easy to tell, right. And revisit moments of, of struggle, but, it's not easy. You know, we were talking about earlier uh, that it, nothing's clear cut, right? Like yeah. when something happens to us, uh, it's not like immediately we realize it's on us. We're going to make a change. It's like we go Cold through. turkey, no. No, nothing like that. We go through uh, a lot of processes, internal processes, anger, pain, grief, yeah. frustration, uh, especially when we can't understand something, right? And 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 in, in particular, in a case like you, brother, that that you lost your brother, man, that that's heavy duty. And by the way, I'm sorry about that, brother. I know that 
Thank you. I, I, I've known your story, but I thought it was important for our audience to know who, who their hosts are, you know, yeah. and, and, and also, you know, to let you know that I appreciate you a lot as a brother. And, and anyhow, if I may interject here, Monchi, real quick, uh, sure. I want to fast forward a little because it's important for my audience to know that I met Monchi's at East LA College and we were both in a, in a transitional time in our lives. We were both trying to find positive things, right? Yeah. And Monchi was involved in theater and so was I. And a mutual friend introduced us and, you know, Monchi's had a script and he wanted to stage a play at ELAC, which was met with a lot of resistance by the administration and the yeah. theater department, right, Monchi? Because, yeah, because they were traditionally Shakespearean, right? Correct. They were they were teaching youth Shakespearean acting, right? right. To be professional thespians, if you will. Uh, and Monchi's had a, based on his experiences, had this wonderful script by victor tamayo Correct. and it was victor about tamayo, victor tamayo and it was about about gangs in the street and it was very spiritual right uh and you know and monchi fought monchi fought and i think when i met him i i i met him in his in his fire in his fight right mm. Mm. and i had fire and fight so we united man and and we collaborated together uh to get this stage that elac and lo and behold by the way uh that was the highest selling production at East LA College up until Sold that point. Out. Sold, Sold out every, every show. show. And no no seating. It was a seating on the stairs. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it was incredible. Yeah, man. So talk about uh, uh, talk about just having willpower and recognizing that it's on you to get shit done, right? Uh, yeah. Wow. Monchi's wow. is a, a quality person, and, and I appreciate you, Monchi, for that. And we staged that show, which eventually became a, a film. Yeah. That Monchi also. Independent full-length feature film, yeah. Yeah, that Monchi did. Uh, night Out, Tecolo. Tecolo, Night Out. So it was wonderful. And by, and I had the privilege and honor of participating in both on stage and in the film. Yeah. Uh, and wow, Monchi, thank you for that. It's incredible how real the realization of It's On You oh, yeah. can take you far. When you it's recognize you. you're going to make a decision and, and we're going to move forward with that. Man. Thanks, oh, yeah. brother. No, thank you. Thanks Alex. for opening up, bro. Man, oh, yeah, you know, I gotta be honest, much as you were a little hesitant to do it when we when I proposed it, but yeah, hey. well, you know, I mean it, it's you know, it's so many different facets of it. And I think we definitely gotta dig deep about when a, a, a crisis like that happens, just like with your story. We just really touched it, right? You know, and and but I think you know, another episode we'll go deeper on, on different uh, facets of, it, of of the trauma and how that impacted us. Right. And also just like, you know, the beauty that came out, but once we knew that it was on us to change and what beautiful things we did from that, you know? Absolutely, man. We have a lot in common, Monchi's. Uh, one of it that it's, we're very passionate individuals. Oh, yeah. And we we see, we, we kind of share a vision about our community. Yeah. We want to improve our community. We want our youth to, to learn from their own suffering, uh, to not run away from their suffering. From their from their from their problems. In fact, I always challenge my my clients, and I say, don't call them problems, call them challenges. That's right. Because challenges are there to be met. Yes. You get it. And problems, it sounds like they're there to be avoided. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Avoid don't step on the shit. Right. Instead of picking it up and cleaning it, you know, throwing it away. Yeah. And my thing is always tell people, lean in, man. It's yeah. on you. Love lean it. in. It's on, on you. you. Wow. C C C. All right, you guys, welcome to the third episode. We'll see you on the fourth one coming soon. Have a great evening, you guys. Thank you, guys. And uh, 
Don't Looking forget. For the next. It's on, on you. <laughs> Just a recap on our conversation of episode three of It's On You. C C C. Ay 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 ay. Si se puede. Si se puede. What's up, Big Alex? How you doing, brother? Hey, bro, right here, chilling, uh, enjoying myself. And you know what, man? Uh, I'm enjoying this this journey called It's On You, brother. What about oh, yeah. you, Monch? Oh, yeah, me too, man. I think it's – I love the fact that we're going off the cuffs, not scripted, just, you know, just talking naturally about what's really going on in our lives and how we can impact people's lives, you know what I mean, with that uh, conversation. Heart to heart, brother, always. Since I've known you, you've been that type of dude, man. You know Yeah, what I mean? man. You know, I think uh, we touched on a lot of important things. I think, you know, like uh, – I think that stood out to me was talking about like, you know, it was a baby boom, um, baby boomer situation, you know, at that time, yeah. you know, and I think I was like, wait a minute. Well, it's not the baby boomers, but it was a baby boom for the people in our community, like the homies in our community at the time, the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, hold on, hold on, you bro. Know, you're, talking of, community. you're talking about baby boomers for Mexicans. That's not new, dog. <laughs> We're always booming, dog. <laughs> We're always, hey, hey we're always we're always having babies, dog, but you're right. right. So that's let's right. clarify that, bro. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't a baby boomer in society at large. It was a baby boomer for the marginalized community because we didn't have resources. So we do what we do. We have we do what's available: drugs, sex, and as you used to say in the seventies, rock and roll, baby. Rock and roll, rock you and know, roll. So. Yeah, man, I was a teenage dad. So what can I say? You know. Well, but I want to clarify this. I think we're uh, so. Let's be more specific because we live on the Pacific. <laughs> so be specific. Be specific. Yeah, right. But I think the biggest thing is more like if we can be specific about the fact that we're talking about like uh, we were. Uh, well, I don't know. I, uh, you were raised in you were raised in Boro Heights, right? Correct? Yeah. Right. You know, where were you born? First of all, where were you born? Dude, I was I was a paisa till I was 16 years old. I was undocumented. I was born in Tijuana, Mexico. However, I was brought over uh, when I was two years old. Mm. One of my aunts was already here. Her children were born here. Born here, sorry. And uh, she used my cousin's birth certificate to cross me over. Right, not necessarily for Mexicans. Uh, a story that's necessarily surprising. Right, right, but maybe for a larger audience, it's like, wow, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, yeah that's what's up. Yeah, and so I, I was born and raised here, right? My, my mom is from uh Cuchitlan, Jalisco, my dad's from Santa Rosalia, Baja California, right? You know, yeah. um, but it was interesting, uh, because the times that we were growing up, late 80s, early 90s, for me, was late, late 80s and early 90s when it was like my prime time of like messing around, right? But um, what I remember at the time is that a lot of a lot of young people were uh, a lot of young girls were getting pregnant, you know, um, by by the counterparts that were a similar age to them. There were youngsters, youngsters and youngsters, right, getting pregnant at a young age. Yeah. And to me, what I observed and just confirm or tell me different, I saw that or I felt like these youth were having kids at a young age because they didn't think that their life was going to last that long. You know, Ooh. they thought they were going to die young, you know, especially if you're the, I'm talking about like the gangbanging youth, right? Ooh, you know, wow. and wow. therefore, That's interesting, bro. and therefore like, they're like, you know, whether they thought about it or not, it's like, well, fuck, I want to speed up my life. I want to, I want to get my, my old my lady. I want to get my old lady while I'm still a youngster. Right. You know, the lady's young too, but see, that's my old lady. That's my hookah yeah. right there. Right. They want to have kids, you know, whatever they, you know, and maybe get married. 
right? But maybe get married because they know they're going to live to get married, but definitely want to have a kid first before they got married. Right, right. You know, and like that's all. So they can leave an offspring. They can leave like their lineage behind, you know, if they passed on. Like if they already knew like, shit, man, if the life is so hard here, right. I could probably die, you know, and I don't want to die and leave nothing behind. Right. You know, and so I don't know. What, what do you think about that? You know, growing up, you know, like you said, you had two kids right. around that age, right. you know, um, besides the fact that you were just young and dumb and full of stuff. You know, what was the other reason why you were kind of like, you know... You mean and age? full of cum? Yes, I was. Go. Anyways, <laughs> uh, check this out, brother. <laughs> so, it's interesting, bro. You know, you kind of... Your notion that you just spilled right now, bro, is not too far from Father Greg Boyles and Homo Industries' philosophy, right? Mm. Uh, he always said, even in those days... Because I met Father Greg, obviously, when I was 13 years old, fucking around in the projects... Uh, he always said, you know, youth are busy planning their funerals, not mm. their futures, right? Wow. And he has a point, bro. You know, as you know, Monchi, me and you are friends. I never quite well, and we both And we both worked at Homeboy Industries for a number of years. Yes, we did. I was yeah. a service provider. and But I met Father Greg when I was obviously a, a homie, right? A homeboy fucking around in the streets. And he definitely did me some solids man he did that that's what he was all about uh but yes man uh sometimes youth do plan their funerals and not their futures it's particular in the margins right so why that's a good question because we already grow up in situations and circumstances where these situations are degradating, right? I could give you a prime example, bro. And again, I know that in the third episode, we talked about that, about teenagers and how I didn't feel that I was lacking love, right? Right. I wasn't looking for a substitute family and so on and so forth. However, I couldn't be clear with this. I did grow up in a violent home. There was a lot of domestic violence, bro. But let me tell you something, bro. A lot of people bash men, you know, uh, in particular, a lot of feminist movements, but Men are not violent simply because they want to be violent, right? Right. You got to understand where we live, bro. Uh, a lot of men are demasculinized, right? Because they're already oppressed at work. They're already exploited. My father was one of those people, for example, right? Uh, he was a landscaper, a, a gardener. And he worked like a fucking animal under extreme circumstances, under the sun, you know, for years and years to try to provide for his family. And he was a very proud man. You know, he, he refused to take welfare and food stamps, although we needed them. You know what yeah. I'm saying? We grew up in a fucked up home, cold, full of roaches and mice. Uh, but we didn't have a lack of love. Both my parents loved me deeply. You understand? Yeah. There was domestic violence. He used to beat my mom when the guy couldn't get a handle of himself. And... He needed to nurse his wounds, right? What wounds? The wounds of oppression and exploitation. So what does a man do in those circumstances, bro? No resources, not anything. All he, all a man knows crossing the border is that he's a hardworking man. Right. And that he's willing to provide for his fucking family under any fucking circumstance, right? So so that's what, that's what was up. So my mom ended up having, uh, we were six in total. Uh, but you're right. Just to clarify and go back to your initial point that it wasn't a baby boomer for society at large. It was a baby boomer for our community. But it was definitely a baby boomer. And let me tell you why. Because, for example, I had three kids during that time. My friends, three plus, you know, and probably five. 
my peers, right? Now my daughter now has only one kid, my son, one kid. So they're not having a bunch of kids. You know what I'm saying? Right. So there was so many fucking kids during the 80s, you know, that what do you do with all these kids? At least people had minimum from five to eight fucking kids, you know? Yeah. So yeah. In my yeah. So every corner you stood around Boyle Heights, which is a part of East LA, in every corner, there was a fucking gang. You know what I mean? And there was minimum of 20 fucking youth in each corner in a, I want to say, a mile radius, right? And guess what these fucking youth are going to do? They they're, they got a lot of fucking testosterone going through their fucking veins and blood and a lot of adrenaline. A lot of these parents make next to nothing in sweatshops and making nothing. So, Factory shop, of yeah. course, we're going to bang. Carnal, of course, we're going to form gangs. Of course, we're going to do something exciting. Gang banging was exciting. I mean, I got to admit, it sounds kind of uh, sadistic, you know, like we like pain, but no, bro, we got to pent up energy. We got to put it out somewhere. You know what I mean? And just to clarify, to me, I understood gangs started in general more like youth that lived in different neighborhoods would get together and play sports against kids at different parks, you know, and they go to different parks and play against each other. But then it got to a point where one kid got into a fight and those friends backed him up, those who backed them up, and then they're like, oh, shit, we have to, like, back each other up. And then that's when they kind of said, well, you know, let's, you know, where, where do you want to meet up at? Let's say, for example, like White Fence. They go meet up at a White Fence over there on... Sixth um, Street and El Loyo, the yeah, whole... Yeah, Loyo, yeah, you know, um, to me, it's a Whittier between Euclid and Lorena, but right. it could be there. I don't know the, the, the facts for sure, but close enough, they meet up at this wall and they that's what they call the name. The right. gang called Evergreen. Right. Why? Because they, they met up at Evergreen Park. Right. Right, you know? And so stuff like that, people meet up at different places. Right. And and that's, how, you know, and they start backing each other up when problems would happen. Right. And so therefore, that's how gangs started. They start backing each other up and then somebody, you know, couldn't handle the fights that bring out a knife and then, you know, bring out right. a, a, a wrench or whatever, you know, a chain. You know, little by little, then like everybody, everybody started bringing out their own stuff and eventually brought out the gun. Right. But right. Uh, uh, yeah. But the point I think going, uh, that's why I think like can gang started as like playing sports against each other and then they started having to back right. up each other. Right. Well, check this out, Munch. You have a fucking valid point and you're right. But that point you're making is only for the 80s kids. Right. Because right. yeah, you have to remember, uh, there was gangs before then. You go back to the Pachuco era and all that. No, for what happened during that era a lot of a lot of youth didn't want to join the predominant gangs right. like white fence evergreen primera flats tercera the whatever the dominant gangs were and whose leaders were already in prison you have to understand that point so the new youth that were being born by migrants in these new communities not new communities i'm sorry in these communities where there was already gangs we're not necessarily interested in joining the traditional gangs. We we develop for whatever reason this resistance, right? Like we said, fuck this. This is a new era. This is a new time. We had the hip hop culture coming strong from the East Coast, and new little fucking gangs started popping up from everywhere, right? I remember there was like yeah. little stoners, little wifes, little VME, like that, like little Winos, TMC, yeah. MC4s, yeah. uh, Clarence Street, new gangs, tiny boys, you know, 
these were new gangs. Nobody wanted to join the traditional gang. So for whatever reason, all these little factions around Boyle Heights uh, wanted to make uh, a claim to certain territory, right? Right. And we were and we're in defiance against the traditional older gangs, right? And it's interesting because since then these gangs have evolved and now they have a presence in the in the prison system, not as big as the traditional gangs, right? For example, you have if you go to prison, you're surely to find in particular in California, Primera Flats, White Fence. You're going to find Maravillas. You're going to find, you know, uh, these older gangs that have been around forever, right? So in the 80s, these kids that were like, fuck this. I'm going to join this gang, and I'm going to fucking gangbang from my hood. But once they were hitting prison, they ran up against these fucks and these older gangs. And they were like, hey, motherfucker, you grew up in my fucking hood. So either you join me or you stand for your hood, but it's going to it's gonna cost you, right? It cost you your life. And, and by the way, many did join up with these guys because they were scared. But a lot of motherfuckers held their ground. And to this day, you know, they're still coming out with these new gangs. So these new little gangs that started sprouting out in different corners through the Mexican baby boomer, as as, as we initially started this conversation with, uh, held their ground. The problem is, or, or the sad news, is that there was so many fucking youth during this time, bro, that a quarter of them died in drive-by shootings and overdoses, being stabbed. Another quarter ended up a life in prison. The other quarter ended up paralyzed or drug addicts. And the other quarter, which makes 100, is me and you, possibly, bro. We survived. And we're here to tell about it. And we chose to go in a different direction, right? And we not only did we survive, but we're doing pretty well for ourselves. So you see what I'm talking about? It's crazy, bro. Uh, but it was on us. It was on us. It's always on us. <laughs> it's on you. Oh, yeah. So. And, and, and so, like, I like the idea of, like, talking about our our time, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, and uh, going back to the thing of just to kind of close on, on youth getting pregnant or, or men having you know, oh, yeah. You know, again, the pregnant at a young age at that time, the, you know, you comment about Father Greg. Do you agree, kind of like that? A lot of them was more because they were planning their funerals than, than, than their lives. They're planning, like, I, you know, like, I'm, you know, I might die and right. I want to, yeah. I want to, like, leave a seat behind. Right. Or what do you think about that? No, bro. I don't think we were that deep. I don't think youth were that deep. <laughs> we were just trying to get laid, bro. I mean, quite frankly. It's a catchphrase, you know, I get it. You know, youth are not planning their futures or planning their funerals. No, not really, bro. We're egotistical too as youth. We're narcissistic. And, you know, we wanna we wanna fancy, you know, fucking Scarface, bro. We're gonna go out, say hello to my little friend, fucker, you know, we're gonna go out. You know, no. But they're we're, living, we, but, but we they're don't living, th- but weren't they living like uh they're living faster. They're living faster. Fast. Yes, they're living faster, so therefore, like that's why I guess my, my point is kind of like, you know, why why were so many so many kids being raised at this time or, or being born at this time or they getting pregnant this time? You know, obviously, yeah, youth, you know, yeah, youth are youth, right? You know, we said, you know, young and dumb, yeah. full of cum, right? Whatever. But also, too, part of it was like, you know, maybe it was like they're planning the funerals, but they were 
living faster, kind of like, you know, like okay. getting to the point, but they're young. They, yeah. they weren't getting married yet. They weren't right, 18 right, right. yet, whatever. Well, look, here's the thing, Monch. First of all, there's a thing called uh, survival of the species, right? right. Uh, it's not just a matter of Mexican-Americans or Mexican migrants no. that are having... It's a, it's a question of marginalized and poor people, right? Right. If you go across the globe and it says, who are the migrants in each country, right? For example, I had the privilege to be in Paris, right? In Paris, France. And in Paris, France, the Chicanos over there that we call Chicanos here are the Algerians, right? And they're looked down upon and frowned upon, right? So in Spain, which I also had the privilege to be in as a performing artist, is the Moroccans, right? Moroccans. Mm -hmm. In Austria is the Chileans because of Pinochet, the dictator in Chile, and a lot of people ran to Austria. So anywhere you find a marginalized population or poor people, to put it in simple terms, Monchis, you're going to find a high birth rate. So think about that for a second. It's, it's what is the phenomena there? It's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to go out in a fire of glory, so I got to produce. It's more of a survival mechanism. Like like any species, does that make sense to you? Yes, but okay, I wanna I wanna interject. So it's not a Mexican thing. That's what no, I'm saying. No, but it, it it is a farming thing. So it's people like a lot of these poor people, these migrants come from farming communities. Not all. Well, in this example, let's just say, for example, like my mom comes from from a from a farming community. Comes from right. a pueblo, right? Right. And so they had like twelve kids, maybe maybe thirteen or fourteen, right? They had all right, kids that survived, right? Yeah. Okay. And so I remember growing up, I wanted like, man, you know, I want to have nine kids like my parents. I want to have a big family. Right. Right. You know, right. But me, it's because I saw that from my parents. Right. I want to have a lot of kids. Right. You know, it'd be beautiful. Okay. But my parents, why they have it? Why why my mom have it? Um, was more because their parents had it. And but why but why their parents have it was made sense. It was it was it was because a lot of kids didn't survive. Gotcha. They, they also worked on a ranch. And then as you raise, you have to feed people that live there, right? But the more kids you have, the more that can work the field. So, yeah, you have to feed them in the beginning, but then they're going to feed themselves. They're going to help you grow and make more stuff. So, and therefore, like, sometimes we forget why, but like, oh, I see this tradition and this is what I want to do, you know? Yeah. And so that maybe that hasn't played them more than, than oh, I'm going to die. Maybe not. Maybe it was more just they saw that their families had big families. Right. No, but check. So, yeah, you're, you, the implication you're making much is that it's cultural, right? It's cultural. Yeah, it's familiar. Yeah, a, a chunk of it is cultural. Yeah. No, but you make an interesting and valid point. Check this out. You know who else or what else has an incredible amount of offspring for the same reason? Because not all of them are going to survive. Turtles. Yeah. Sea turtles. So sea turtles, if you go to Cabrillo Beach, I think it's once a year where... Their eggs are there and they're laid out and hundreds of little fucking turtles are hatched at the same time. And they all run towards the ocean, right? Correct. But why hundreds? Because probably only a quarter or less than a quarter will survive. Right. So if you if you really think about it, it makes sense. People who grow up in in the margins of society, throwaway people, right? Uh, in poor people. It almost seems like a similar mechanism, right? Uh if it's something that's unconscious. Yeah, some, that no, unconscious. no, no, for sure. I like that. Yeah. It's not necessarily conscious, right? It's almost like an unconscious phenomenon, right? right. Uh, 
while we grew up at, we're in the margins and there's gangbanging here there's police brutality there's all this so you're popping kids left and right it sounds kind of brutal i don't mean to say it in a in a way like that but you you catch my my trip yeah. right so did we try to explain it too easily like we analyze a situation at a certain time we go oh maybe this is what it is but right. something it's bigger than that yeah. it's almost like nature no of course of course of course so basically that that's in my view what's happening because yeah. i had three children and i want to say that i fell in love as a teenager for sure and i love the the girl but it was anxiety more than anything right when you don't have anything else to gravitate source to you have this uh hyper sexuality or hyper you know what i mean uh where you know you're hopping like bunnies bro like rabbits i mean i hate to say it but it's it's just truth right if you go to affluent communities their parents are training you know kids to use birth control or to you know what i mean how to protect this how they're being educated we're just like this is my answer i fall in love and this person is my answer right but right. then it turns out to be hectic because you can't get a, a real paying job or a livable wage and shit's happening right like oh my god now problems start domestic violence alcoholism and the cycle continues of uh demasculinization of of males right and that's what's up yeah no i, I agree so i think i think that's a very good uh explanation alex you know and we definitely want to deep further we want to dig deeper into it down the line i appreciate this conversation this bonus uh into uh it's on you episode three bonus so thank you so much alex hey. at the end of the day it's on, on you. you but let me ask you this much is this episode four or we're just uh <laughs> hey, episode three bonus thank you munchies love thank you baby you, see you the next one peace you, peace